Teenagers. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Hello and, and welcome to Talking Teenagers. Today we are hugely lucky to be speaking to Cathy Weeks, who's been very involved in the writing of two brilliant books for young people, but I'm sure she's got lots more to her story than just two books. Hello, Cathy. Hi. Hi. Hi, James. James, very, very nice to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about you, Cathy? Uh, yes, absolutely. You mentioned that I've been very involved in helping to write two books for young people. They are called You Are Awesome and Dare to Be You, which has just been published. People may have heard of those books and they were written by my husband, Matthew Syed. And I did a lot of work to, to help him with those two books. But I think it, it has been a, a long and windy road to getting to do writing of these two books. And I, I've actually just also signed my own deal to write a series of fiction books. And when I was uh, talking to my new agent about what I should put on their website, I thought about all the different jobs that I had had across the last, I guess, 20 years. And there were quite a lot of them. So it's been a, a windy journey. I've, I've been an accountant. I've been an investment banker. I've worked on the music counter at WH Smith. I've worked on looking for the missing billions uh, that the Sultan of Brunei and his brother uh, lost. So I had a, a, a pretty long and windy road to, to, to getting to where I am now. So I, I hope that I sort of draw on all of that experience uh, when I help to write the books. Well, that's wonderful variety. That's absolutely terrific. And you've ended up in this sort of world. And, and is there a particular reason why you want to, you know, give so much time to helping young people feel fuller about themselves and more complete? Yeah, I think I I had quite a difficult time when I was at school. I went to a very, very large state school in Derby. And my parents were quite, I guess, academically ambitious, but they didn't have, my parents were both teachers. So we, you know, we didn't have lots and, and lots of money, but they wanted us to, me and my brothers, that is, they wanted us to do well. But at this particular school, it wasn't particularly cool or to work hard. And I was bullied quite a lot there. And I think that stayed with me. And I felt quite a lot when I was younger that I couldn't really be the person that I wanted to be because I was trying very hard to fit in with these other around me that, that didn't really want the same things as me. I worked pretty hard, uh, got into Oxford to do a maths degree. And I felt when I got there, I just met a lot more like-minded people, people who were interested in putting the effort in, people who were wanting to sort of work for a level of success for their future. And it, it just made me realise and look back at the school career that I had had, that I, I just am not sure that the others around me at school even realised that a lot of these opportunities existed. And so for me, you know, as I mentioned, I have done a lot of um, different jobs up until now, worked in finance, etc. But when Matthew started to write his first book, uh, which is a, an adult book called Bounce, and started to get into this idea of a growth mindset and looking at 
you know, ultimately how success really happens for young people and then for adults too. I got very interested in that because it just struck me that I think, you know, I think I did have that from a young age, but it made me realise that other people didn't. And the ability to sort of change the mindsets of parents and of, of, of young people just seemed so, so invaluable to them. So that I got very interested in, in, it, in it at that point. If you were to encapsulate the messages of, of your two books, if you were to sort of say to parents, these are the, the key messages we're trying to get across, how would you articulate those? You're Awesome is all about reframing success. It's about growth mindset and it's about understanding, I guess, understanding how success happens. You know, we live in this world where a lot of people want kind of success overnight. We see programs like The X Factor. We see very polished images on social media and you never see the hard work that, uh, that almost always lies behind real success. Once you get young people into that mindset, that growth mindset of thinking, actually, you know, one step at a time, if I can put in the hard work, if I can, you know, get comfortable with failing sometimes, then, you know, the, the world is my oyster sort of thing. I, I, I can get out there and have a go at anything that I might want to try. And there is a path to me becoming, you know, you might not be Olympic champion or prime minister or whatever at the end of it, but you will be a whole lot better than when you started. And so you are awesome is about changing that mindset. Well, when we use the phrase growth mindset, I'm conscious there'll be a lot of parents listening who don't perhaps, obviously you have a whole consultancy around this idea, I think, but what, what do you mean by growth mindset? What's that? It's a Carol Dweck idea, isn't it? Yes. So Carol Dweck, who is a professor of psychology at Stanford, and she's done all of the research into the correlation of growth mindset and successful outcomes. Ultimately, it's quite a simple concept. Uh, it's about your belief about whether you can improve your abilities with hard work or practice. And on the one hand, you have a fixed mindset. There's actually two types of fixed mindset. There's the fixed mindset where you think that uh, you need to be born with a certain talent or a skill level. So, you know, you might be born with an innate ability to play football or innate ability to be good with maths. And in the first type of fixed mindset, you kind of think, well, well, I wasn't born with that. So I'll never be any good at that. Not today, not tomorrow, not in six years time. So why bother? So you just recoil, don't put any effort into it and, and try and shy away from anything to do with, with, with that. So that's one type of fixed mindset. There's another type of fixed mindset, which is a little bit less common. And that's where you think it's all about talent and you've got to be born with a certain skill level uh, and it's innate in your genes and you think yes I am super talented I am brilliant at football or maths or whatever it may be so I don't really need to try either because I'm already brilliant and both of those two fixed mindsets can lead to people sort of shying away when you might need to put in some hard work whereas if you're in a growth mindset you think that success is a journey you think it requires hard work you kind of understand that you know there'll be setbacks along the way it's not going to happen overnight and it's down to you and once you believe that you are in control of making that happen for yourself and then it isn't something that was fixed and you were born with or not it changes people's perceptions and people's ability and willingness to try new things 
Because if you think you can get good at something by giving it a go, putting in the effort, well, all of a sudden it makes sense to do that. Whereas if you believe it's fixed, there's kind of no point. So this growth mindset is highly correlated with improved outcomes in young people, but also, you know, and you mentioned the consultancy we have around this, but also in the workplace. So for for adults, too. And so we do a lot of work in schools and in organizations around shifting the way people think. Can I, I mean, the language around growth mindset is very important, isn't it? How would you advise parents to kind of help their children adopt a growth mindset through the things that they say to them? Yeah, and so we talk about this an awful lot. So the language is really important when you're trying to um, build a growth mindset and particularly in young people. And I just always go back to this idea of thinking of any goal that you want to achieve and thinking of it as a journey and therefore using language that make it sound like it's a journey. So, you know, rather than praising a child for their test score or for winning a race or a match, you praise the effort that they put into that. So you're praising the journey. So that if actually, in fact, they come second or they don't get quite as many marks as they might have wanted to in the test, they understand there's another chance, there's another match, there's another test, and it's about an ongoing process. Another really good one is, you know, this idea of the word yet. So if you've got, you know, a child saying, I can't do this homework, it's kind of like, you know, you can't do it yet. What do, and it turns it into a journey all of a sudden. What do we need to do between now and when you will be able to do this to, 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 to help you out? I can't do it yet. But it changes. It changes the sort of tone from it being something that's fixed to something that is, is, is a journey. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Can you tell us a little bit about Dare to Be You, which I, I've listened to and really, really enjoyed. I love this idea of kid doubt and how we overcome those either those inner feelings of uncertainty and insecurity. Yeah, so you are awesome being about, you know, this idea of how you achieve your goals. We were very keen to write a a second book that is different to that. It's about, and I guess this sort of relates to the the issues that I felt at school. You know, how, how do you empower children to be confident, to be the people that they want to be? How do you empower children to sort of silence those inner doubts that everybody has and have the confidence to follow the the path that is right for them? So, you know, if they're feeling like they like one particular thing and all their friends want to do something else, well, you know, that's okay. And embracing their differences and seeing their differences as a strength which you know in our changing world you know your your differences really are your strength they're the things that allow you to add new ideas and you know I love the line from the book that to be different is awesome yes being different is the new awesome yeah and and actually you know I I really believe that and actually a lot of what Matthew has written about in his adult books in rebel ideas around the way in which the world innovates 
debates these days um, and solves complex problems, you know, no longer that it's it's no longer easy for for a single person to solve the problems that we have in today's world. You need to bring people who think differently, who've got different backgrounds, who've got different experiences. And I kind of felt that that's a brilliant message for children because if you are a bit different, you've got a different perspective. You've got a, you know, you might have had different life experiences, which means that, you know, you can spot something or you can think of things that nobody else will. And that's what's valuable. And that's what's going to be valuable in the workplace going forward. I thought one of the things that struck me about sort of the two books combined is Rebel Ideas and Dare to be Different is it's, it's first allowing yourself to be different. But the other added thing, I think the added maturity is embracing people that are different to you as well finding people to work with who are different to you who have a different viewpoint to you uh, and actually that's a skill as well isn't it allowing yourself and, and making yourself seek out people who aren't you know like you that's that strikes me as being a really important feature of that yeah and it's not always the easiest thing to do we we have a tendency to like to be surrounded by people that think of a bit like us and you know that's one of the big issues on social media is that you can end up in in these echo chambers of hearing really the only the same opinions uh over and over again and amplified because you're surrounding yourself with people that think a little bit like you and so trying to break out of that engage with people who have got different experiences to you do have different perspectives is is really important and it you know it is a skill because we have a tendency to to not do that yeah it's true i think that some um teenagers i think probably my kids would be like this they won't go to the chess club or the choir or the soccer club whatever because they anticipate not just the activity but the kinds of people that will be at that activity and i'm not one of them and to sort of make not make them but to sort of encourage them into that is is a helpful way to, to approach it i agree There's a a brilliant example, a brilliant piece of uh, research, which is in in Dare to be Youth. People who are scientists, basically, that have won the Nobel Prize. And they looked at the sort of cohorts of scientists that that, that have won and those in their peer group that, that have been close. And what they found is that you're much more likely to win a Nobel Prize and it kind of goes up in different increments. But, you know, you're 22 times, I think it is, more likely to win a Nobel Prize if you've also been doing poetry reading and on stage music. So having these outside interests, bringing a different perspective for these scientists allows them to then connect ideas, to be more innovative in their main body of work because they've got the different perspectives of other people in totally different fields so it is helpful to you or to children to do these other um other things that that are outside maybe of their comfort zone that are different to what they normally do because they'll be able to connect the dots and be able to think of new ideas in a way that they possibly wouldn't if they didn't do I've just been reading about that in um, the book Range by Epstein. Right. It struck me as as you as we you introduce yourself that you've you've certainly had that, haven't you? You've had that very real diversity. I'm not saying you're going to win a Nobel Prize. Don't get... 
I think I need to start to get very good at chemistry if I'm going <laughs> to very well. It's fine. incredible that you, you know, you said you went to Oxford to study maths, and now you're about to become a writer of fiction. And I think I love those those stories. I think they're, they're so inspiring, actually, that that the people, you know, people had the diversity and the skill set to change. Like that. I don't suppose that's what you thought you'd be doing when you went to university. Probably in twenty years' time, you'd be writing novels. No, I mean absolutely. No, and I think this is one of the, you know, one of the biggest skills that is valuable for young people today is this idea of adaptability and being willing to to change your path. Because, you know, the children in schools today, they're going to come out to a world that looks very different from the one that their parents emerged into. 60% of the jobs that they will be doing have not yet even been invented. So, you know, how do you prepare for that? And the way that you kind of prepare is to be adaptable and flexible and resilient if, you know, if, if you need to, to, to change. And I think I absolutely didn't think that I would be writing children's fiction. It, it's brilliant. You, you are a, a walking and living example of what you're talking about, which is superb. So we're, we're speaking principally to parents here. What would you say are... Uh, the sort of highlights or the headlines that, that from your books and uh, all the research that you've been doing and the scientific backing, what would you say are the, you know, let's say two or three utter priorities for us all? I think a couple of things, really. I think that the work we do in school has sort of opened my eyes to the fact that actually a lot of parents who want their children to succeed aren't necessarily aware of all of the research on growth mindset. And so this point about language that we talked about earlier is, to my mind, one of the the biggest fundamental things that we can be doing. So praising for effort and hard work and for the journey rather than the result. It's helpful, I think, for parents to have a concrete example of that. If your child does well in a science test, rather than say, oh, brilliant, you got 95%, you say something along the lines of, oh, well done you, because I know you worked really hard for that test. Yeah. that's That's the bit that the parents should be articulating, not the outcome, as it were, but as you said before about the journey, about what they've done in order to achieve that is what the focus is on. And actually, if they don't do very well, you know, don't sort of cover them in sympathy and, you know, oh, well, don't worry, it was a bad day for you or the test was probably hard or, you know, the teacher didn't mark it very well. You just say, oh, well, next time you're going to have to obviously work a bit harder and try and prompt them in that direction. Yeah, so I think absolutely. So that's, that, that's the perfect example. It's about praising the process so that they get, so that they get an understanding of the fact that, it's about their hard work. It's the hard work that is... That should be applauded and noticed. That should be applauded. I think also the second thing is to get them comfortable with the idea that failure is not a disaster. There is another chance if you have worked hard, you know, worked very hard, if you've tried your best, sometimes things don't go to plan. Sometimes you don't do as well as you you hope. And so rather than catastrophizing, it's a case of saying, okay, right, so that test didn't quite go to plan or, you know, that that match or that race or that 
swimming tournament, whatever it is, didn't quite go to plan. Well, what should we do next time? This idea that there's a next time, it's a journey. What should we do? How do we learn from what happens? And a lot of that is written about in Black Box Thinking, your husband's book. This idea that failure is inevitable to, to get good at anything. You have to interrogate failure. You, we can't just bury ourselves when it goes wrong, but actually to explore failure and to expect failure in order to before success is is kind of the way that well, it was certainly how I read the book. I found it really, really interesting. There's a lot in black box thinking, but ultimately it is about the ability to, you know, embrace failure as a learning opportunity. And one of the, the nice examples is around the ice skaters. The very best and champion ice skaters are those that fail the most, which sounds kind of counterintuitive, but it's because as you push yourself to do bigger and better and more daring jumps and lifts and turns, you fall. And pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in order to get better at something is inevitably going to mean that sometimes you fail. And seeing that as an opportunity to learn what you need to do for next time is is so is so important yeah it's a brilliant and a brilliant way of looking at it i think i mean the the the, the other thing because james you sort of said one of the, the three things i think the third thing would be to i think not catastrophize around situations when they change and you know we had a, a situation here with our daughter uh, evie who she'd been listening to the radio with matthew and it was about how coronavirus was going to mean that children were so far behind at school and you know many children would never be able to catch up and i think there was one commentator that said you know these these lives of our children are going to be ruined and our daughter said well, what why why is my life ruined and you know, obviously there has been a lot of change and children have had to, had to adapt to uh, different types of schooling and different arrangements now as they go back to school. And, you know, the world looks a bit different to, to the way it did, you know, this time last year. But actually, you know what, let's not catastrophize that because this is not the only change that children are going to have to face in their lives and that's not to downplay the seriousness of this and it has been terrible for a lot of people but ultimately you know technology is changing the the environment is changing you know there are so many changes coming down the track that unless we can be a little bit more adaptable and resilient when these things happen it's going to be difficult so I think that would be my third you so you've mentioned the word adaptable and I've heard that a number of times of how important it is for young people going into the world to be adaptable how do you think we teach train coach our children to be adaptable i think it's to not catastrophize when things change or when when you have to do something slightly differently but i think it's also about encouraging children to ask questions so we, you know, there's a piece of research that we have got in Dare to Be You about children. Apparently, they ask the most questions when they're four years old. And after that, it starts to decline. And 
part of that is because at four years old, you're not inhibited by the work, the, the sort of social scene around you. You're not worried that if you ask a question, it might be, you know, a silly one. You're just curious about learning about the world. And so you ask. I think encouraging our children to be curious, to ask, particularly if things aren't, you know, if it, things aren't working for them. People, for example, learn in different ways. Have the confidence to ask the teacher if you want to hear something again or need, you know, need to go a little bit slower or need to have this visually rather than in words. Having the courage to be able to ask questions and see the world as something that you can change to make better for yourself. I think when you then face a situation later on and you need to be adaptable, you already understand that that you have you are empowered to to, to make changes. You don't have to go with status quo. Kathy, that's a great way to end. I think um, there's so much to unpack from that interview. But uh, thank you so much for spending the time to be with us today. We really appreciated it. Yeah, thank you, Kathy. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. You've been listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Rue Paynes. Editing by George Purvis and James Certin. For more information about I Can and I Am Charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icaniam.com. Be a soul.